This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Welcome to Lake Community Church's Morning Bible Study. We are in Exodus chapter 14, and yes, Larry, we are going to cross this morning. We're going to cross the Red Sea. As I'm looking at this and thinking about the uh, picture, and obviously this is a picture of baptism. He saves them out of Egypt, the the blood on the doorpost of the heart of, the heart of them. It's a picture of the blood on the doorpost as the angel of death passes by. So as you're looking at this is a clear picture of God taking them out and they're heading toward to meet him, to know him. And most theologians would say that the crossing of the Red Sea is the picture of baptism. Now, what's interesting about this is I've just thought about it. This is not something major theological. It's not something you got to just lock in on. But as I was a little boy, I remember baptism happening it happened during the Sunday morning service sometimes, but I distinctly remember baptisms taking place at night also. And in fact, as I pastored a church in my first church in North Alabama, we did baptisms at night. We did them many times at night. And uh, and I, as, look, as I'm looking at this, the crossing of the Red Sea actually took place at night. And, uh, and, I, and then I thought, about, I thought about the Ten Commandments and that movie, and sure enough, that was a crossing at night. I don't think that it explicitly said it, but you could tell that everything was dark. It was night. It was nighttime when they crossed the Red Sea. And then, then when the Red Sea closed, you can see that it's the morning. It's morning time because you can see Pharaoh come back in the daytime, and he is uh, he's devastated. As I'm thinking about this, I think it's a great celebration, and so I think baptism is something that can be done anytime. But I find it interesting that I do recall when I was younger, and it's a lot less likely now, especially because lots of churches don't have church on a Sunday night. It's a lot less likely that's going to take place, but baptism used to take place many times at night. And so that is a, that's just something to throw in the pot and think about. It says in verse 19, and the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel, notice this is the angel of the Lord. This is Jesus leading them out of the camp. It's, it's capitalized. It's not just any general angel. It is quite clearly in the Hebrew. This is someone who is God. It's the angel of the Lord that we've seen prior to this throughout the book of Genesis. He is now the one who is leading them out. He moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went before them and stood behind them. Notice, God is in, engulfing them in his presence. They are, he is before them, 
and he is behind them. And they are literally right in the midst, in the presence of God. And baptism is a celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So obviously it's going to be a, it's going to be a event where God's presence and because he's the primary one being glorified there. It is his presence is, is right there before them. And it says, so it came to pass between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus, it was a cloud of darkness to one. And so the Egyptians were in the midst of darkness. It was already dark. It's at night. And then this cloud is covering up all possible light that might come from the moon or the stars or anything. They are in complete darkness. And it gave light by night to the other so that one did not come near the other all that night. And what? And so the crossing is going to take place. And so many times, especially in the Ten Commandments, that finally the, finally the pillar of a cloud that is holding them back lets them go, and they cross during the daytime. But I don't think that's what was going on. I think there was a pillar of the cloud, and the cloud moved across the Red Sea. And as the children of Israel all got across, the Egyptians were following behind in in the Red Sea all through the night. I think they were. It was just like a wagon train for the Israelites, and the Egyptians were right behind them, behind the cloud, being held back by the cloud, and they followed right through the night. And that that's that the logistics of that is is strange to me. And it tells you how it does it. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. Now, don't miss out that the wind is there. And anytime you have wind, wind is a picture of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not necessarily a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. That's usually water and wine and oil. But the presence of the Holy Spirit, when you see wind, generally that is pointing you to the idea that the Holy Spirit is there at work. And when you see the word wind, just think the presence of the Holy Spirit's there. So you have the Father's will to redeem them. You have the Son bringing about the redemption, going along the way, and the Holy Spirit uh, blowing back the water and making the way possible. And so it says, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided, and the land became dry. It was it was dry land that they walked across. The Bible is quite clear on this. We can come up with scientists and all kinds of people, naysayers, saying why it didn't. But the Bible is quite clear that this is exactly what happened. And so many things in Scripture that the naysayers do not like uh, have been proven to be true, have come about, for generations and millennia past, hundreds and thousands of years, people have come up with reasons why this, that, or the other is not true in Scripture. And lo and behold, by some archaeological find or some other discovery, we figure out, oh, that is possible. Oh, that could have happened. Oh, that city did exist. Oh, that person is real. And then for you, the Scripture is just continually being being revealed. Now, we don't know exactly. It gives us locations for where this crossing took place, but we don't know where those locations are. And we have no, nothing to point us to those things. Maybe one day, one day an archaeological find will prove to us or show to us where that actually took place. There are many people who've tried to figure it out and make the place where they crossed uh, and show us how that could happen. There are places along the Red Sea where this is quite clearly a possibility could have happened, could have taken place. And the scriptures 
straightforward with this. And this Bible study less, less, has less of a spiritual element, more just a logistics element. This easily could have taken place if God can split a sea. And that's just, that's, basic, that's just the basic logic of it. If God's capable of splitting a sea, then he is, he, it, this is how he said he did it. Now, you got the question, then the question, obviously, is there a God? And we can argue about that on all kinds of levels. We can argue it on a spiritual level. We can argue it on a philosophical level. We can argue it on a scientific level. Is there a God? And they're good arguments for God. In fact, they're some unassailable, in my opinion, arguments for God, both philosophically and scientifically. And that being said, they, that's one of the things that are, is very important uh, is our God. And if there is God, then he would be obviously an all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, omnipresent, good being. And if he's all-powerful, then can he split a sea? And I think that's quite evident that he could. And so if God does exist and he did do this, then, then and he said he did it this way, then, I, then why am I to question that? There's not any reason to question that unless I question his existence or his power. And some do, but they're wrong. And so he says, he says, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. So it didn't blow it back so that there wasn't a sea. It blew it back so that there was literally a wall of water on both sides. And I think the Ten Commandments does this in, a, in, a, in an amazing way for the time period that it was in. Now that we've got all the technology that we have, we could easily make something that was neat and looked powerful and wonderful. But back then, that was very difficult. And they did a absolutely fabulous job for literally a generation past. The people who made the Ten, Ten Commandments don't even, aren't, most of them are not alive today. And it is a, it, they crossed on dry land with walls of water on both sides. And they crossed in the midst of the sea, which is really a picture, it's a beautiful picture of baptism. He says, so the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground and the waters were a wall to them. On their right and on the left, verse 23, and the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea. Notice, they're moving across the sea, and the Egyptians are following behind, being held back by that cloud, really being held back by the angel of the Lord of Jesus himself. And so they pursue, and they follow after them. Now, this next verse is the one that's, I think, important to understand the logistics of it. It says, Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. So as they're trying to cross just like the Israelites are, he troubled them. And verse 25, it says, and he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us free Flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Now notice, they followed them all the way across the sea, and right when it gets to daybreak, and remember, daybreak is a picture of the resurrection. Right when it gets to daybreak, when it seems like the power of darkness is going to win, that they're going to catch Israel and they're going to destroy them, when they get on the other side, they're going to kill all the Israelites. When that happens, it reaches daybreak, 
and God is troubling them and holding them back. He is causing their wheels to fall off their chariots. They're not able to move across the Red Sea like the Israelites are, which was unencumbered and easily just move, walk right across. They're not able to do that. It's not possible for them. And, and so they're troubled, and they realize it. Not only that, not only do they do they have trouble crossing, but they realize they have trouble crossing. And they say, uh-oh, the Lord is troubling us, and he's allowing them to go. Now, you got to remember, they have experience. This is really Israel's first real powerful experience of the presence of God. Because remember, they were, they were, they were protected from all the plagues of Egypt. They were protected from having to deal with those plagues. They didn't, they weren't protected from the water turning to blood, but they were told to store up their own water. And they were, and they did. So they didn't even have to endure that, that calamity very long. But with this one, they had, they got to see God and the power of his hand at work and walk through the midst of that power. And for the Israelites, this is an eye-opening experience, and it's going to say that basically at the end of the chapter. But for the Egyptians, they know. They know the hand of God. Now, they also know that Pharaoh is their Lord, and Pharaoh is the one who is telling them what they should and should not do, and they are going to follow him. And you got to remember this. If you're not under, if you're not under the leadership and guidance of God, if you're not following Jesus, if you're not being led by the Holy Spirit, then you're under the power of darkness. You're under the power of the enemy. And the enemy wants to destroy you. The enemy wants to destroy every aspect of your life. And they have to do exactly what Pharaoh says do or die. And so their army is being told to cross over. Pharaoh didn't cross over with them, but they're being told to cross over with them. And they do. They cross across the Red Sea. They follow them all the way almost to the shoreline, and we're going to know that later on tomorrow as we see that their bodies wash up on the shore, and the Israelites see the Egyptian bodies on the shore after it's all over with. They followed, followed, them, followed the Israelites because, because they had to, and when you see people in darkness doing things that you know they should not be doing because they know better, they logically would, it would seem to be that they would logically do differently. Just know that they're under the power of darkness. They, sometimes it's just not logical what the enemy has them do. It doesn't seem like it makes sense. And it, it doesn't make sense. But for them, they have no idea of how to deal with that in their own hearts and their own minds. And, and when you're under the control of the enemy, you are forced to think the way the enemy wants you to think. And you go, doesn't God do that? The answer is no, he doesn't. In fact, God says quite clearly in Scripture, come and sit and reason with me. What he's saying is I want you to come to the conclusion that I am God and that I am, uh, I love you and that I want a relationship with you and I want you to choose that relationship with me. And I want you to walk in that relationship. And remember, the way we glorify God is by us actively choosing to trust him and to walk by faith. That's how you glorify God. Now, that manifests itself in all kinds of ways. And you say, this is glorifying God, and that's glorifying God, and this glorifies God. But when you draw it all back and bring it back to its basis, when it gets right back to the core of what it is, each one of those things are that, that we say are glorifying to God are, are usually as the result of us hearing God's instruction us 
believing God, us acting upon it, and there, therefore that carry that glorifies who he is. And so it is literally a free thought process. God gives us an instruction, gives us an understanding, gives us a direction, and then we have to, in our own hearts and mind, choose that over the other. And that's what repentance is all about, and that's what turning toward God and our conversion experience is all about. It's all about getting to the place where we believe and trust him. Well, that's the case with understanding that God is not forcing us like the enemy is. He's not, they're not, we're not under a spell. We're choosing to walk with him. The, you know, the man on the street situation where they're talking to people about some of the nuttiest things that the world comes up with and people just buy it hook, line and sinker. And when you just present to them something just very logical, if that's the case, then what about this? And they go, I don't have an answer for that. And the reason they don't have an answer for that is because it's not been thought out. They're just following after what they've been told. And that that is the way of the world. And that's the way of these Egyptian soldiers. They look up and they go, God has been telling us for a while now to let the people go. Pharaoh ain't wanting to let them go. But now we're in the midst of this sea. We've got the waters on both sides. And the Lord is troubling us, causing it so that we can't catch them because he's knocking off the wheels of our chariots and we're having to fix them along the way. And we're not going to make it across and we're going to die. And we should probably turn back and flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Wow, a realization but a realization too late because as we're going to see tomorrow, God is going to totally destroy the power of darkness to have any influence over his people. He's going to separate them. He's going to separate them by their relationship with him. He's going to separate them by the blood of the lamb. And ultimately he's going to separate them geographically. He's going to place them in a different place so that the power of the enemy cannot prevail. And that's a good word. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.